This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. This is Vancouver Consumer. In a moment, we'll be checking in with John Carlson of 2% Realty. You know him as Johnny Smart Point. JohnnySmartPoint.com as we find out what's going on in the world of lower mainland real estate. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. The feds were hinting this week they might at least think about cutting some of the gas taxes we pay. That's as the price at the pumps continues to be sky high. Finance Minister Christia Freeland says if the government needs to do more to address the rising cost of inflation, it will. And this past Monday, she said the government was, quote, prepared to do more if necessary. On Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden called on Congress to suspend federal gas taxes in the states until the end of September. It's not all that popular of an idea to uh, call a federal tax holiday in the U.S. Back in his days as president, Barack Obama called the idea a gimmick. And Biden's proposal is getting some pushback, even from fellow Democrats. So it looks like a long shot to get that through Congress. And with the price of gas, it's not surprising that we're seeing more and more e-scooters around town. They really rip those things. Some go very fast. And by the middle of next year, we will see a public e-scooter share service available on the streets of Vancouver, right alongside the bike share network. Last week, Vancouver City Council approved a motion by Councillor Sarah Kirby Young to move forward with an e-scooter share service, which would start next spring. Personal scooters have been permitted on Vancouver's protected bike lanes and minor streets since last summer. You probably noticed them, sometimes going very fast. That's why there have been lots of concerns about not only safety, but also crowding on the roads. But as explained by a representative with the mobility share company, Bird Canada, there have been a lot of technological advancements in the e-scooter share industry. Um... For example, a smartphone app can be programmed to limit new riders to a lower speed for their first few rides, allowing them to gradually become more familiar with the thing. On Wednesday, Vancouver Council gave the okay to what is being called a game changer for Vancouver's Broadway plan. After months of meetings and 27 amendments to the 493-page document, the new plan will mean towers of 30 to 40 stories to be built around the subway stations, with 6-story and 12 to 18 stories in other areas of the corridor, all the while protecting heritage buildings and creating more green space and public plazas. Two-thirds of the plan calls for rental housing. And when you think about Gerber baby food, You think about that little baby on the jar or on the package with the cherubic face, just a classic baby. Well, that little baby has just passed away at the age of 95, Anne Turner Cook, who was known the world over as that original Gerber baby, went on to become a mother, a teacher, and a writer living in Tampa, Florida. Cook was five years old when a neighbor, artist Dorothy Hope Smith, drew a charcoal sketch of her that was later submitted for a contest that Gerber was holding for a national marketing campaign for baby food. 
So uh, Ann Turner Cook, the Gerber baby, has just passed away at the age of 95. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. And coming up, we're going to talk real estate with John Carlson. You know him as Johnny Smartpoint, johnnysmartpoint.com. That's when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW. Welcome back. It is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and it's time to talk about what everybody loves to talk about, real estate in the Lower Mainland. Uh, And of course, we have our expert, our friend John Carlson of 2% Realty. You know him as Johnny Smartpoint, and you can find John online uh, at www.johnnysmartpoint.com. That's two N's in Johnny. You can also uh, send him an email at john at johnnysmartpoint.com. Hello, John. How are you doing this beautiful week? Good afternoon, Martin. Doesn't the good weather feel great? Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's officially summer, like literally officially according to the calendar, but also officially because it sort of feels like summer outside, would you say? I think so. I'm, when it comes to summer, I'm kind of a, I believe it when I see it kind of guy. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm finally starting to believe. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I, how does that affect uh, real estate? Or, or I guess it's, there's a, a ni- not a nicer time to go out and, and look at real estate or, or people, do they want to take a break when it becomes summer? You know, summer's got, you know, traditionally, um, I guess, and, and I've said this before on the program that we haven't really been in any kind of traditional market these last few years, but, you know, you've got two sides of summer. Uh, on the one side, places like acreage tend to pop up a bit because, you know, maybe the grounds dry up and the, the foliage is nice and green and everything's looking fresh and fantastic where, so, so you may see uh, if you're, if you're an acreage hunter, chances are you'll see in the next two or three months, a lot of good properties come up that, uh, you know, are probably looking their best this time of year. But then again, there's also, you know, then there's the people who maybe are young families, they want to buy and get in a house before school starts. So, you know, summer's a good time to sell. There are definitely people buying. Um, Then on the other hand of things, there's people that go away a little bit on summer. So there's no 100% truths in in any of that. But these last few years, the summer has been, you know, an active, busy market. And overall, right now, our real estate market is more subdued than it's been in the last three or four or five years in terms of the number of sales and showings and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I think my take on it would be if you've got a property that shows good in the summer and you want to put it on the market, there are buyers out there and it might make sense to to look at that, uh, you know, especially if you're a higher price property where financing plays a big role in it. Because as we all know, you know, the feds are talking about bumping interest rates up another three quarters of a point and, you know, all of that makes housing a little bit less affordable. So summer, people feel great. The weather's good. Uh, great time to look at properties. Um and, uh, you know, I think that what we'll probably have is a, is a fairly stable, not spectacular, but steady market where buyers are out looking at properties and the buyers that are out there are, are a lot more uh, picky and a lot more careful to place offers than they used to be. But what I'm seeing out there is a property that shows really well, that offers a good value proposition, uh, especially if it's a little bit better value than a lot of the competition. Those are the properties that buyers that are out there today are looking for and homes are still selling. John Carlson is our guest. JohnnySmartPoint.com is where you can find him online. And you mentioned uh, interest rates changing. And it seems pretty clear to me that we are in a period of transition in real estate. And uh, it it changes all the time. But you're out there in the field. You see it every, every day. And you see those changes as they happen, not as sort of reports from statistics Canada that come out a month later. But, um, 
you know, what, what's your general mood or, or your general feeling about uh, the market? I mean, and, and also, you know, why is it important to have somebody who kind of understands these, these waves and changes uh, to help you when you're navigating the real estate world in Vancouver? Yeah, you know, great questions and big questions. Um, you know, generally speaking, what I see out there is, you know, a market where uh, it's it's just a different feeling. And and people have to remember that as a seller, I can ask whatever I want for my property, but it really is buyers who determine market value because based on their ability and willingness to, you know, put a certain amount of money forward to buy a property. So right now, you know, it's, it's funny, as you mentioned, working every day and doing this, and I read the stats and I read the paper, but the things that really, you know, stand out in my mind are, we had a relatively rapid change in the market in terms of last year prices going way up and things heating up. And now we've had a relatively quick turnaround and things starting to go the other way a bit. So when I'm out there, sometimes I, I remind myself of, you know, hey, it was only four months ago when I would have a listing and have, you know, a dozen offers and agents calling me saying, hey, I want to deliver the knockout punch. What do we have to do? I want to win. We got to get this property. And now it's a completely different feeling where, hey, we'll get an offer and a buyer's going to take the time to make sure they get an inspection, which I think is fantastic. They need a extra time to get the bank approval because the banks are getting a little tougher these days. And they're generally offering conservatively, you know, they buyers don't want to pay yesterday's prices, you know, sellers still want yesterday's prices in a lot of ways. And that makes sense. But buyers are looking towards tomorrow. And uh, the trends seem to be, you know, throughout the market, although we can talk about this a bit that some segments are hotter than others, and some have maybe more to lose than others. Uh, but buyers are being a little bit more careful, and they understand that they don't have to be under pressure. And uh, some of the buyers I've worked with lately, in fact, maybe I should say a hi and congratulations to Steve and Helena, who we just uh, removed conditions on a on a property. And congratulations and great working for you. But the buyers I've had lately, have, you know, my advice to buyers to, right now is, hey, if you're in a situation that makes sense for you to find a new property and you find that something you absolutely love and suits you great, hey, let's go for it. Let's get the best price we can, the best terms and negotiate to the best of our ability. But there's no reason to necessarily hold off. On the other hand, if you're not absolutely thrilled and you see some things that are, you know, they're okay, but they're not really tugging at you, your heartstrings too much, doesn't hurt to wait, doesn't hurt to be patient because, you know, as a month goes by, uh, working with any particular buyer, I'm noticing that the options tend to get a little bit better, a little more plentiful and prices get reduced on some of these options. So I think we're in a market where buyers have a little bit more of an upper hand, definitely more than they've had in a long time. So the whole feeling from a psychological point of view um, has changed. But let's remember that Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley are still highly desirable places to live. You know, we have uh, influx of uh, all kinds of immigration. We've got starting up again, uh, we've got limited supply. And so even though our market hit some, what some people might consider outrageous highs in terms of pricing, and there were some very specific and unique circumstances that went into the formula that created those, those sale prices, we have to remember that, you know, maybe things are balancing more now, but we're still in, a, in an area that tends to have a pretty robust real estate market. The demand side is always really high. Um, it's just, I think, uh, uh, what, what you need to think about is yesterday was yesterday and today's today and there's a new sort of sheriff in town, if you will, and uh, <laughs> things are a little bit different. And one of the big things there is, is the interest rates haven't gone up. 
Yeah. And uh, you want somebody who can deal with that sheriff, <laughs> somebody like John Carlson. JohnnySmartPoint.com is the website to go to. 604-612-0080, the phone number, John at JohnnySmartPoint.com. And uh, John, I, I've been reading a lot of articles this past week, including one in the Vancouver Sun, just about the outlook for real estate in the lower mainland. And there's some obvious uh, downward pressure because of, like you say, interest rates. But this article that I read in the Vancouver Sun pointed out a couple of factors that were putting uh, a little bit of upward pressure on on prices in real estate. One of them you mentioned, immigration. Uh, it continues in Canada. Uh, they predict about a half a million uh, new people coming to this country uh, by the end of 2022. And the other uh, sort of uh, factor that was helping to prop up prices was developers slowing down because the profit margins are getting a little slimmer. So they're not as uh, eager to get out there and build new properties. And I guess it's not as simple as, oh, interest rates go up, the prices go down. Uh, I guess there are some concerns about uh, demand or a supply rather um, in this market because supply was the story of, of the pandemic. There just wasn't enough stuff to buy for people. And do you see that being uh, a concern going forward? Well, you know, again, when what you're talk, telling me about immigration and uh, developers maybe slowing down, to me, I just hear supply and demand. Um, the demand for our area, again, has traditionally been quite strong. And that was one of, obviously, the key uh, forces that helped push prices to where they went. And again, supply is, has been limited. And it's interesting, not to sidestep too much, but it was interesting to, uh, to hear a little bit about the Cullen Report. Uh, the Cullen Commission came out and you know, I won't uh, go through the entire thing, but basically I think that report concluded that, yeah, maybe there's some money laundering, but it's not the big smoking gun that, that maybe our province was, government was hoping to find or expecting to find. It really is an issue of supply and demand fueled by interest rates. So if I had to say, what are the big factors? Our supply side, you know, was very limited. And now as a buyer, I have a lot more choices, but still we have a supply issue if you start to take into account the immigration that may be coming. Uh, the demand to be here is still very strong, although that demand gets eroded a bit by the fact that interest rates have gone up. Because even if a house drops 30% and you go and buy it, but your, your interest rate has more than doubled, chances are you're paying more for it than you would have when it was cheaper and interest rates were lower. So a lot of these things go into people's decisions as to whether or not the timing's right for them to buy or sell. But, you know, all of these reports, you know, indicate to me that we're still in a situation where we're in a robust uh, area in terms of real estate, a desirable area where people can buy. And just remember that you know, the party is kind of over when it comes to the excited heat and panic of the market on the part of buyers that were pushing prices to area the areas they've never seen. And now, um, in variable ways, I guess you could say the market is changing. Um, you know, one trend I'm seeing is that if, if you were to look at a, a different segments of the market and see the price graphs over the last year or so, you'd see and probably because you know, the, the COVID trend where people are moving away from the cities and getting more space maybe out in the outlying areas, the detached housing market, let's just say in the Fraser Valley, for instance, or outlying areas, boy, did those areas ever take off. And they were the, the leaders really when it came to the segments of the market that, that increased, that had price increases. I mean, 
wild price increases way up. And some of those areas now are maybe more vulnerable to the correction. So, so far in the trend, I think that the, the properties that are seeing the most adjustment in terms of downward pressure on prices are the ones that benefited the most in the COVID times and the excited times. So there's a little bit of balancing going on. And if you want to understand the segment of the market that you're working in, whether you're a buyer or seller, I think it makes a lot of sense to talk to somebody who understands the fundamentals of the market and who is working in it and can give you good advice in your segment because they're not all the same. Right. Yeah. And I guess it's just a question that the froth has come off of the market, but, uh, it's not like, uh, you know, the bottom is going to fall out. It just makes it a little bit more tricky. And, uh, and I guess you've seen every kind of market in, in your 20 plus years of experience, you've seen all sorts of markets. So you know how things work and that's gotta be important. Yeah, I think so to some degree. I mean, nobody knows exactly what's coming up and, uh, you know, every year, every situation has its own challenges and its own unique situations that lead the market to play out in the way that it does. But, you know, I definitely remember, you know, the late 90s when things were sagging and then suddenly in two, early 2000s, we took off here in, in British Columbia. But then 2007 happened and I thought, well, at that time, boy, what's going to happen? I got a little bit, you know, a little bit nervous like a lot of people did. And it turned out that we had quite a resilient market that the demand side just stayed strong and we had a little bit of a blip and then we carried on and right. looking at what's going on now you know i i'm like everyone else waiting to see day by day how this is going to affect the market but it's pretty clear to me that um what we had in terms of the market was 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 unique um the situation with covid money printing low interest rates consumer demand panic all that sort of stuff went into a special situation and most of those ingredients have either gone away or they've adjusted and changed and so now we're in a, again we're in a market where buyers are in a position to get better value and right. uh, i guess the only exception to that would be the banks who are getting more money from every sale now because of the rates <laughs> john carlson is our guest johnnysmartpoint.com you can find him online, johnnysmartpoint.com. You can also write him an email at john at johnnysmartpoint.com. And when we come back, I want to talk more about the difference between the suburbs and the urban areas and how, how real estate in the lower mainland in different areas might be affected. That's when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. Welcome back. This is Martin Strong and Vancouver Consumer. We're talking real estate with our friend John Carlson, johnnysmartpoint.com. You can find him online at that address, johnnysmartpoint.com. You can also write him an email at john at johnnysmartpoint.com. And John, a lot of people, uh, they know the name because they hear it all the time, Johnny Smartpoint. And it's, you know, it's easy to Google, just go Johnny Smartpoint with two N's and uh, they can find what that's all about. But occasionally I like to remind people why you're called Johnny Smartpoint. What is the smart point? Because you're a 2% realtor. That means uh, a, a commission that's very fairly priced. It's not uh, at the higher end of what real estate agents are charging, but you also bring a lot of experience. You bring like 20 plus years, more than a thousand properties sold throughout the lower mainland and not just in one area, but throughout the lower mainland. So you bring a lot of experience and uh, you bring you know, a lot of expertise to, to a market that is changing a lot. And, uh, 
I, I guess that's what you mean by, by a smart point, the, the difference between a good value, but also um, what you can provide people uh, who are looking to, to sell a property. Yeah, I think so. People want to do uh, what's wise when it comes to selling a property. It's a big decision. There's a lot of money uh, involved and entire families' futures and those sorts of things are, you know, dependent on on handling a sale like this property oftentimes. So, you know, when it comes to commissions, I always point out commissions are negotiable, they're variable, there's no set commission structure. But when I tell people I save them money, I'm comparing to the vast majority of commission structures out there, which is typically around 7% of the first $100,000 of your sale price plus two and a half or three, I've even heard three and a half percent of the balance of sale price. So again, everything being negotiable and there's no set commissions, Typically, compared to the vast majority of agents you talk to, you know, my commission structure is, is more attractive in that regard. But on the other hand, I mean, when, you, when you're hiring a professional, the, you know, the, the commission structure is going to be important, but not as much so as maybe the level of professionalism and expertise that the person you're hiring can provide, because that's really where, you know, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So when I, you know, come up with the, um, the Johnny Smart point, I, it kind of comes from the thought that, hey, if I were not in this business and I were looking to sell a property, knowing what's important to me and the majority of other people out there, what would I be looking for? And I, I would want someone, first of all, who I could talk to, who would listen to me so that, you know, I, I could be heard and, you know, not just be thrown a sales pitch or uh, hustled into a certain situation and sign here and all that sort of stuff. But I'd want somebody to sat down and listen to me so that person here or her could understand what my goals were. And then from there, I'd want somebody that I could trust and rely on to give me the honest goods straight up and the best information possible. And that's one thing that kind of, I think, makes my job easy, so to speak, is that at all times, I seek to just tell the truth as I understand it uh, when it comes to the market, pricing, all those sorts of things. And, you know, knowing that I'm not a decider, I don't decide what houses will sell for, or where the market goes up or down. But I'm out there every day, as you said, and I, I do have a lot of experience over the years and recently. I mean, you want somebody who's working today and last week and next week who can defend your price when the offer comes time to, you know, the offer comes, there's time to negotiate. You want somebody who knows enough to be able to defend your price or to give you good advice in terms of how to handle each situation as it comes up. So every day I've got my ears open, my eyes open, I'm learning, I'm listening to the market. And when I meet somebody, you know, I, I give them the best advice I can. And then, you know, the experience does come into play, whether you've got 15 or 20 offers in a multiple offer situation, or you've got one offer. Handling that offer to the best of its ability is, is really key. So again, I guess the smart point goes to the fact that, you know, my price in terms of commission is probably attractive compared to most of my competition. And the, the my track record and my ability to sit down with people and help them reach a good, you know, solution to the problem of, hey, what are we gonna do with our house? If I can do those two things, I think that's a smart move for sellers. And I just want to make it as easy as possible for people to work with me. So really, in a nutshell, that's the smart point. That's my goal when I sit down and meet with people to try to understand things enough to give them good advice and work them through the process. So they come out the other side feeling like, you know, feeling satisfied and sometimes even thrilled, quite frankly. Yeah. And, and when you think about obviously selling your home, it, it really is, you know, the biggest uh, investment of your life for most people. And it's a huge responsibility to, to, you know, to, to do it properly. And, um, obviously you don't want to choose somebody as a real estate agent just because they're the cheapest. 
Um, that's not the way to go. But, uh, also when you look at the kind of prices you're dealing with, with real estate, with a, you know, a, a home, for example, um, it's a lot of money and those percentages are huge. And if you go to johnnysmartpoint.com, you can uh, see a table, uh, what, and, and, and get an, an exact figure on what a 2% realtor would, would cost versus, uh, somebody, a more traditional higher based commission structure. And, uh, I think it's really, um, a lot of money for people. And I think it's important that, that people think about that. And, you know, I just, just point that out, <laughs> just go to johnnysmartpoint.com and take a look at that. Obviously I agree. And again, I would just <laughs> add that in a changing market like this, uh, you know, I'm seeing as I write offers for buyers or I have offers come into my property or I discuss potential offers with other agents or buyers or sellers, you know, there, there's some people out there who think it's um, the end of the world and they want to offer 50% value. And then you have other people who maybe think that, hey, everything's fine and nothing's changed and they still want the prices from six months ago. And I think that, you know, helping a buyer or seller, depending on what side of the equation you're on when, when a real estate transaction, helping them just understand the true lay of the land. We can talk about statistics. We can look at past sales. We can look at trends and then also just sort of talk about day-to-day experiences that I have. Uh, you know, under, helping someone understand a changing market is is really big because we could be talking ten, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars if uh, of extra potential money if a negotiation is handled well and a buyer or seller through his or her agent is able to communicate that properly to the other party. That's that's I think the biggest challenge right now in the real estate market. We're talking to John Carlson, Johnny Smartpoint is, uh, the name johnnysmartpoint.com is the website and you can uh, send John an email at john at johnnysmartpoint.com. He's been in the business a long time, sold more than a thousand properties, uh, around the lower mainland. And that's an important point too, around the lower mainland. You don't just specialize in one particular area and you have a good sense of what's going on. And we touched briefly in the first segment about, uh, an article uh, talking about how the, the price difference between suburban areas and urban areas, how that was changing because during the pandemic, uh, that sort of, uh, divide between the urban areas, downtown core and the suburban areas kind of faded away. The suburban areas, uh, enjoyed a huge spike in value. And according to this article, uh, it, it was saying that that, uh, divide in prices may be headed toward a more traditional thing, basically saying that the prices in the suburban areas would probably go down a little bit quicker than the prices in the urban areas. And I guess that's important, uh, to, to understand how that works when you're, when you're selling a property. Yeah. Having a big picture, uh, perspective of what's going on in the market is, is important. And again, it's kind of early. We're relatively early into the market adjustment and rates going up and all that sort of thing. It's only been what, two or three months now where statistically we're seeing the decline and, uh, you know, time will tell, but it, it does make sense. I've said this for many years. It's, you know, when the, when the market goes up really the, locally here, greater Vancouver, the city, uh, the bigger, uh, areas are, are the engines of, of, of a market. When the market's going up, 
you often see people, maybe they get priced out of Vancouver or certain areas of Burnaby, North Vancouver, West Vancouver, and they start to move for pricing reasons a lot of times out to some of the other areas, maybe Coquitlam or Tri-Cities, maybe Langley, et cetera, et cetera. And as a result, you know, you see these other these outlying areas, they really pick up steam and, and especially with COVID and the change of people maybe not going to work all the time in terms of, you know, working at home instead. We saw probably the biggest swing in terms of pricing from the urban areas to the more rural areas that I've ever seen in 26 years of real estate. And it only makes sense that when, you know, if that tide, if you will, is up and up and up, that the areas that you really notice when the tide starts to go down are the outlying areas. You see it on the edges first. And and I think that's what we are going to see. And with some of these rural areas or, say, detached housing in the Fraser Valley, which which had a fantastic increase in prices, they seem a little bit more vulnerable to correction than maybe the areas that didn't go up quite as much. So there's no 100% truths in, in any of the stuff we're saying. I'm just talking about generally uh, trends and what's happening. But if you look at a, that is at the most recent statistics, and I'm, I'm really waiting for the June statistics to hit in early July because I think that'll be really interesting. But you'll probably find some segments have held their pricing a lot better than other segments. And again, there's another key piece of information you're going to want if you're, you know, moving from one area to another, for instance. Yeah. And it's interesting how when COVID hit, it really did a number on, on our, on our sort of, uh, attitudes towards our, the, the places where we lived. Like if you live downtown, all of a sudden you prob- probably didn't have as much room and you wanted more room because you were spending way more time at home and you were also doing more work at home. So you needed more room. So I guess it was a perfect storm for that, for, for those outlying areas during COVID. Uh, I think so. But there was also, I think when you look at the demographic of property owners, you know, a lot of property owners are in their fifties and sixties and beyond. And I think that when prices got to a certain point, a lot of people who are getting close to retirement, for instance, kind of looked at things and said, hey, look at what we can get for our house. Why don't we go look up in the country for another place? This might be the time for us to make a move that makes sense financially as well as lifestyle. So I think that had a lot to do with it as well as, you know, the house in downtown uh, you know, Burnaby or, or downtown Vancouver, or whatever it might have been, kind of almost doubled in prices, people started to think maybe this is the right time. And I think that had a lot to do with it as well. So for whatever the reasons, we saw a market that, you know, that really did its thing. And now the market is starting to adjust a little bit. And to be aware of how it's adjusting, how quickly and what areas, I think is one of the biggest challenges for buyers and sellers uh, in terms of making good decisions in their process. Yeah, because it definitely is a, a transitional kind of market. And it's not its not always as huge as people say. It's not like the bottom is dropping out, but things are changing. And the, the transition is happening. You know, interest rates are going up, but still there are still a lot of um, reasons why lower mainland real estate uh, should remain strong. And as we mentioned in that article in the Vancouver Sun, um, you know, Demand is still high. Supply is still a concern and uh, immigration, a lot of people coming to Canada. Well, uh, John, I, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, I want people to go to johnnysmartpoint.com to see uh, all the listings that uh, John has and uh, everything you need to know about John. You can also send John an email at john at johnnysmartpoint.com. And, um, Always great. I'm sure it's a busy time for you. So uh, get out there and enjoy it. Thank you, Martin. You too. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. 
Great. John Carlson, johnnysmartpoint.com. And that number again, 604-612-0080. And that email is john at johnnysmartpoint.com. Coming up next, this weekend in Vancouver history, it was on this day in 1958 when Vancouverites were finally allowed to do something on Sundays. It was illegal until then, and you won't believe that, uh, that it was illegal to do it on Sundays in Vancouver. You couldn't do it. And I've got that story coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And when people say Vancouver has become a no-fun city where you can't do anything, think about this. Up until this day in 1958, you couldn't watch sports. On a Sunday, after years of prosecutions, Vancouver City Council on June 25th, 1958, passed a bylaw that legalized the playing of and the charging of admission for sports, including baseball, softball, ice hockey, and Canadian football. For some reason, American football, not on the list. It also included badminton, swimming, and bowling. Up until then, they held a number of plebiscites, and not surprisingly, support for sports on Sunday in Vancouver was very high. The most profile of the high profile of the arguments uh, about it was between an organization called the Lord's Day Alliance. They were a local group that were against doing anything on Sunday, and the Vancouver Mounties. Vancouver's professional baseball team holding games on Sunday would mean a lot of revenue for the team, obviously. They actually thought the whole thing was settled on the 12th of June when the BC legislature in Victoria allowed sports between 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays. But the Lord's Day Alliance group said not so fast. They argued that the province didn't have the power to pass that amendment. At that time, There was actually a federal law in Canada called the Lord's Day Act, which was enacted in 1907 and prohibited a bunch of stuff on Sundays. For example, you couldn't transport milk or cheese on a Sunday. You couldn't rent a horse. And all operations concerned with the making of maple sugar and maple syrup were completely off limits banned on Sundays. And although the Vancouver Council's decision to allow sports on Sundays finally went through, it was on this day in 1958, it was uh, still challenged all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, but to no avail, Sunday sports would remain legal in Vancouver between 1 and 6 p.m. on Sundays. One alderman, J.W. Cornett, was not happy about it, though. He was quoted in the Vancouver Sun back then as saying, quote, this is just the beginning. Next, it will be Sunday movies. Well, he was right, though all other types of Sunday business and entertainment would remain mostly illegal until the beginning of the 70s. So uh, that's when we were able to watch a movie on a Sunday. And that's a little bit of Vancouver history today. In 1958. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And coming up, would you hire somebody for your business who has no experience in that particular field? More and more employers are saying yes, they would. That's next when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.